Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. We're just over a quarter of the way through the season, almost exactly a third of the way through the season for most of the teams in the NBA. So we're going to do an awards podcast. So I'm here today with two of the Jordans from the illustrious hashtag basketball website, Jordan Christmas, JC, and Jordan Schultz. So JC, how are you today? I'm doing great. The season is flying by. It's kind of uh, crazy that we're already a third of the way through pretty much. And Jordan, how about you? Yeah, I'm doing good. Just got off work, ready to talk some basketball. It's the same thing when you would send over podcast notes and it was, you know, an award show already. It's like, holy cow, you look back and it's like, yeah, I guess, you know, we are 25, 26 games in for most teams. So it's that time of year to kind of start looking forward to these types of things. And if we're going to start with awards, we should start with the award that always garners the most conversation, and that's the MVP discussion. So each of us had our top five for the MVP, and there were quite a few agreements. So I want to start by talking about the man who was number one on all three of our lists, James Harden. And... I have to admit that before the season, I didn't really expect Harden to be in the MVP conversation just because I expected him to have to reduce his role alongside Chris Paul. And instead, adding Chris Paul has just supercharged James Harden and the Rockets offense. And Harden is putting up absolute eye-popping numbers. He's somehow gotten better at shooting from deep, and he's averaging... 31.6 points per game, 9.4 assists a game. He was leading the league in assists for a while, and that's gone down somewhat with Chris Paul back in the fold. But I'm beyond impressed that James Harden was able to turn it up another notch after his spectacular season last year, which honestly I thought was worthy of the MVP. It's just been really incredible. I thought we were Going into the season, we were going to have a lot of debate about, you know, whether James Harden and Chris Paul could play on the court together. And Chris Paul went down in the first game with a knee injury, and then Harden just upped his play, which was, I didn't even expect it. I mean, just true shooting percentage, 63.1 is incredible. He's somehow topped what was already a historic season last year. And the Rockets so far have the best record in basketball or the best record in the West, I should say, that best record goes to the Celtics, of course. But 19-4, and and not only that, um, just not only are they great on defense, but their offense is just taken off. And I've just been really impressed by Harden. And this is finally, I hope this is finally the year where he gets the MVP because I did not think Westbrook should have won it last year. I thought Harden was the clear cut number one for me at least. And so far, um, even with Chris Paul coming back recently, he's been just keeping up this torrid pace. Yeah. Last year, the MVP, I feel like it should have went to James Harden. Um, I thought he had done the most. I mean, you, it's it's just crazy. I mean, you have to attribute part of the success um, of him being able to continue up on this pace with Chris Paul, just with Mike D'Antoni being uh, like the master at staggering lineups and letting him have the chance to get the ball in his hands and run the show, as well as Chris Paul. And then they split them up and they play well together. I mean, you look at it right now, he's leading the league in, I believe, points, three-pointers. He's third in assists. Um, and, you know, Chris Paul is leading right now at 10.1. So it's, you could argue he's really second since Chris Paul's only played nine games so far. Um, but, yeah, you look at what they're doing. They're the only real threat, I feel like, to Golden State. Um, this version of Cleveland that we've seen so far couldn't hold a candle to Golden State. 
but this Rockets team has looked great. You know, it's been the defense has been the big surprise there. I think everyone expected them to come out and, you know, be able to put up 120, 130 points a game um, on any given night. But the defense has been what has really, really been the difference maker. And I think, you know, you've gotten to where Harden isn't, you know, the complete laughing stock he used to be. And that's really kind of helped his all around pace for that MVP. And that's what has him at number one for me. And we all also agreed on who is number two in the MVP race. And that is the somehow still in his prime, LeBron James, who's averaging 28, eight and eight. He's shooting career best numbers from three. He's near his career bests in shooting from the floor. He's upped his free throw percentage after he really struggled with that last season. And after a really tough start, the Cavaliers proceeded to pull off a 13-game win streak that just ended, actually, last night before we recorded. But the Cavaliers were in dire straits, and yet LeBron, without any other superstar alongside him, given that Isaiah Thomas is still out with injury, he has been the alpha and the omega for this Cavs team for what seems like the 95th year in a row. And... He's not only failed to fall off, but you could argue that this season has been one of his best years of his career, and it's absurd. The absurd part is I thought 2012-2013 LeBron was the best, not only one of the five most insane seasons in history, if you look at it across all history, talking about all the Hall of Famers. That season itself was insane, but I had no idea he was going to top this. And it's his 15th year, as you mentioned. I mean, 58% from the field. He's shooting a career high so far in three-point percentage at 42%. And he's doing it on 4.8 attempts per game. It's, I I mean, sometimes you're just at a loss for words. It's 28, 8, and 8. Like, at the end of the day, I mean, I really don't think it's up for debate anymore. Like, it's you can argue who's one and two uh, for greatest of all time. I have Michael Jordan personally, but it's Michael Jordan and LeBron at the top. And the fact that he's doing this in his 15th year is just it's it's mind boggling. It, re- it really is. I, I just can't even I can't comprehend what he's doing right now. It's it's insane. I mean, you look at his stat line right now, you kind of already mentioned, but he's averaging 8.1 rebounds and 8.5 assists. Um, if he can finish that out and, you know, average above 8 of both of those, the only other time he's done that in his career is last season. And so that just tells you he's getting better with age. You know, you already mentioned the three-point shot is improving every single year. Um, he's not really dipping in efficiency. Um, you feel like at some point this guy is going to, you know, hit, hit the wall and, you know, he's not probably not going to hit it. He'll hit it and just kind of like break through it and then just slow down a little bit after that probably. But I mean, you just got to wonder when the slowdown is coming and this guy is getting better with age. I mean, if they keep on the pace that they're on right now, he's going to finish the year as the MVP. Um, obviously, it's a little bit of that recency bias where they started so slow and then have gotten hot late. But man, it's it's crazy. Once Isaiah Thomas gets back, the Cavs are going to be a scary, scary team in the UCM. It would be really sad for James Harden if he ends up being second in the MVP voting again. But if LeBron manages to keep this up, I could at least understand it. And I guess that's the same as last year where even though I would have voted for Harden, Westbrook did finish the year with a triple-double and absolutely insane clutch stats. So I guess I can understand it. But that's kind of the point that we're at with LeBron is unless you're having a historic season like Harden is this year, 
it's just so nearly impossible to be better than the guy who's somehow still the best player in the league after all these years. And the question was, as he was aging, is his jump shot going to come to form? And I mean, it clearly already has. But when you look at guys performing into their 40s, like Vince Carter still somehow in the league, Manu Ginobili is somehow still in the league, and LeBron is probably really ahead of his curve in terms of keeping up with the maintenance on his body, I could easily see him still being a really, 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 really good player going into his late 30s and or possibly when he turns 40. I could see him playing for still a long time. He's a good enough passer and has developed enough of a post game that he could just sit on the post as a passing power forward into his early 40s, honestly. And we haven't seen anything like that since Kareem, honestly. And that's probably who LeBron is competing with for that second best of all time slot. Yeah, I was going to say, I've never really seen anything like this in my lifetime. And I was like lucky enough to catch the last few good years of Jordan. And then, of course, when he came back as a wizard. Um, but yeah, I would not be shocked if this guy's 40 years old, still putting up, you know, seven rebounds, seven assists and 25 points. It's I've never seen anything like this. He'll he'll finish as either the second best if he's not already, and then possibly the best player of all time if he can continue at seventy five percent of the pace he's on right now. It's it's crazy. Let's move on to number three in this MVP discussion, who I think is probably the primary candidate to take over from LeBron as the best player in the league, and that is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who has improved dramatically every single year of his career to the point where last season he won the Most Improved Player Award and ended up being on an All-NBA team. And somehow this year he's taken yet another leap and he still can't shoot and it still doesn't matter because (laughs) he can get to the rim and score over basically anybody pretty much at will. I mean, he is averaging over 18 points per game in the paint, which for someone who's not a Shaq style center is mind boggling. Yeah, this is kind of like, and Danny LaRue brought this up as sort of a point. He, he had Giannis second on his MV, his quarter MVP rankings, I believe. And it's kind of like the West, the Westbrook argument where the team is just so terrible when he's off of the, when he's off the court that you almost have to put him up there as most valuable player. I mean, that the Bucks are complete trash when Giannis leaves the floor and I am putting that really lightly and his net rating his his net rating differential is plus 19 and when he's off the court the Bucks are a minus 10.7 and they're also a minus 8.3 in terms of defensive rating he's somehow like you said he's somehow taken his game to another level he really still doesn't need a jump shot he's unstoppable when he gets into the paint because he can just take one dribble in the half court and then two strides and he's at the rim and really when we did the podcast earlier in the year me and you nick we were when we were talking about who would you rather have cat or Giannis, and i was kind of you know maybe like 55 percent Giannis, 45 percent cat i mean it, it kind of it kind of looks silly now i would definitely take Giannis as the future of the league I would def I would definitely say he's the next in line to be the best player in basketball and he has such a great worth ethic that I think the jump shot will come around eventually and also not only that Giannis has been in 
a really he's still somehow underrated defensively even though he's one of the best defenders already in basketball and like I was mentioning earlier the Bucks defense just really takes a nosedive when he leaves Giannis has been incredible this year despite the Bucks iffy record yeah, I'm not worried about the Bucks record as much. I think that you're going to see them make a run as they really kind of used to have an Eric Bledsoe in the fold there. I mean, they've looked okay with him already, and I think that that's only going to improve them. Um, you have seen Giannis's assists dip down from you know, like five and a half down to four and a half, which is about right when you add a, a true point guard on there. Um, but it is you just you talked about it's it's insane like the leaps he's been able to make this year like this year uh, per 100 positions they have a offensive rating of 117 with him he's 30 for 33 and a half percent usage rate I mean he's got like 3.2 offensive win shares um, you just it's crazy it, he has no three-point shot and he's is dominating the league you're kind of seeing it a little bit with uh, Ben Simmons another guy we'll talk about a little bit later in the show um, but it's crazy you see this new breed of like just monster human specimen that can dribble like a point guard and just dominate and bully their way to the hoop and it's man the, the nba is in good hands once you know the lebron uh, lebron and the durants and those guys pass or not pass but you know what i mean leave the nba because you got some some very nice young players they're ready to take the torch and from those insane athletic specimens into someone who manages to be one of the most effective players in the nba without otherworldly athleticism Steph Curry, who was number four in the MVP rankings for myself and for Jordan, and was not on JC's ballot, but I want to talk about Steph because after Kevin Durant joined the Warriors, there's been a bit of a debate about who's the best player on the team. And for me, it's still Steph Curry no contest because on the one hand, he's nowhere near as good of a defender as Kevin Durant, but on the other hand, the difference between the Warriors offense with Curry on the floor and without Curry on the floor is staggering. When he's on the court, they have an offensive rating of almost 119, which is beyond absurd. And when he's off the court, that falls to 106, which is about middle of the pack, despite all the rest of the players on that team. And Steph Curry is really only, I would say, elite at two skills, namely ball handling and shooting. But his shooting is so ridiculously far off the end of the bell curve good that it warps the space of both teams around him. And the effect he has on the Warriors is almost impossible to measure. But the fact that the Warriors won 73 games before Durant showed up kind of makes it seem to me like Steph is the more important player. And we're seeing that over the last couple games where the Warriors have not scored at historic levels with Curry out of the lineup. Yeah, one thing that I find really interesting that just really kind of validates your point of where you mentioned that his shooting is just so far off the curve. Um, like he's shooting a career low at from three-point percentage this year, but it's it doesn't really seem like he's having a down year. He's still hitting three and a half three-pointers a game on 38%. Um, you have to imagine that's going to creep up closer to you know that 41, 42% he was at last year, which just means that scoring is probably going to go back up closer to 30 points compared to that 26 he's averaging. Um, when I first sat down and did my uh, MVP rankings, I was going to bring uh, Kevin Durant on there. I, I thought for sure he was going to be my top five. Um, but then just for some of those reasons that you mentioned, just look at like what they do with him on the court versus off and just how the offense changes when he's not there. Um, that's it. Well, I had to bump Curry back up on there. He's the most important player on this team and on the best team in the league. Yeah, I mean, I had I had Curry, you know, you could have argued I debated internally whether or not uh, to put Steph in the top five. I mean, you can easily make a case for it, obviously, but I totally 
agree with Nick. Uh, I've been a huge Steph Curry fan, especially tracking him all the way back to Davidson. And when Kevin Durant joined the team and the debate started about who is the best player on the Warriors, I mean, if you take the talent in a vacuum, sure, Kevin Durant might be the better player. But, I mean, it's still easily Stephen Curry is the best player on the Warriors. Nobody causes the offensive havoc that Curry does in the league. No, Nobody. I mean... LeBron is obviously, he's singularly great as an individual and he attracts his own gravity. But the fact that your Curry extends the defense beyond pretty much close to the half court line and then you have to, you have the choice of either trapping him or leaving a big on him and either one is just death. That just causes so many problems for a defense. And the reason I, I had Kyrie Irving fourth on my list and I know you could argue Al Horford might be the more important player, but to me, Kyrie Irving has been the best player, especially when the Celtics have been on their 16, were on their 16 game winning streak and eight of those games, they came back from double digits. Kyrie Irving's fourth quarter stats are pretty insane. Um, He had a one, he, in the fourth quarter, Kyrie Irving has a 119 offensive rating and he has a 60, he has a 63% true shooting percentage. And he has just been absolutely, he has gotten better at passing, um, shooting the ball, shooting the ball off the dribble from three, his signature shooting the ball off the dribble from three. His defense was improved to start the season i'm not going to go overboard and say it was great or anything but and it's tailed off a little bit but he has been their best player certainly their best player offensively and he's been kind of the reason the celtics have been winning all of these games because he is just, he is one of the most you there's you could probably name like two or three other players that just strike fear in you whenever they have the ball in their hands in the fourth quarter. And I just think that's still important. And Kyrie Irving is one of those guys. And so I have him fourth on my list. Continuing on Kyrie. um, He's who I had as my number five um, in my MVP voting. And I came down really hard between Kyrie and the guy that uh, you actually enlisted as your number five, Nick and uh, Boogie Cousins. Um, But yeah, I mean, Kyrie is their closer. Um, if, if he went down, the Celtics team would, would fall off a cliff immediately, I feel like. Um, he's a very, very important player to what they do. And he's, you know, he's, he's bringing it on the defensive end now, which is something that he's always been knocked on. You know, Brad Stevens, is, he is a wizard when it comes to coaching. And he just knows how to get the best out of everyone, including, you know, people that have already won NBA finals and had like their own signature moments. Like Stevens finds a way to get even more out of those guys. It's, it's crazy. So... You mentioned Boogie Cousins, and I wanted to talk about him just quickly. For years and years and years in Sacramento, it was fair to criticize Boogie for putting up massive stats on a team that wasn't winning. But this year in New Orleans, Drew Holiday has had a horrible start to the year. He's gotten a little bit better in recent days, but especially the first few games of the year, he was just lost out there. And Anthony Davis has missed time with injury. And that Pelicans team is basically the two of them. I mean, they signed Darius Miller out of Europe and almost immediately he was starting for them. They signed Tony Allen on a minimum deal after the Grizzlies didn't want to pay him and he started games for them. They just have nothing outside of DeMarcus and Anthony Davis. And the fact that they're even close to 500 right now with basically just those two players is insane to me. But the other person who I heavily considered for fifth on this list was Joel Embiid, who also was fifth on JC's list. Yeah, so it's pretty much, I mean, 
DeMarcus and Embiid, you can kind of make you can make the same argument and they would and the they would both fall under the the category of just the team outside of Embiid um is, and Ben Simmons of course is really they can't function without him on the court and especially on the defensive end which we will talk about later when we talk about defense the defensive player of the year and especially in on offense too um Embiid when he's on the court the Sixers have a 106.9 offensive rating and when he's off the court they can only score 100.8 points per 100 possessions and he is just so vitally important his passing has improved his turnovers are up but they're more live dribble turnovers and pretty much just he has a let me see. He has a 13.7 uh, net rating and pretty much he's just the Sixers. He's clearly the Sixers best player. And this is part of it with, you know, guys like Jared Bayless and lesser wings starting around him. And he's somehow able to, he has been the main catalyst in the Sixers exceeding expectations this year. I had him pegged for 38 wins before the season started and they look like they're well on their way to a playoff spot. Granted, People stay healthy, which has obviously been a huge question in Philadelphia over the last five seasons. But just the fact that Embiid has the Sixers where they are now, I kind of took that into consideration. He is like the he is the most impactful player on his team, and is a far distant second as Ben Simmons. But that's one of the main reason why I have Embiid as fifth on my MVP list. The only reason that I had Demarcus over Joel Embiid in my fifth spot is because if Robert Covington was in New Orleans, that would be like a 55-win team. Yeah, that's fair, but you, I mean, in fairness, I mean, you could argue it, you can argue which wings are better between the Sixers and the Pelicans. I mean, the Sixers really, J.J. Reddick's having a really down year, and I expected to have him, I expected him to have a way better season. He's still shooting the ball, uh, I guess, 39% from three, but J.J. Reddick's been having a down year. Jared Bayless is having a down year. And then we have a bunch of wings that are 23 and under that are not quite ready yet. And so, I mean, yeah, Robert Covington, of course, would add more wins, but um Embiid has just been really special on both ends of the court which is why I gave him the slight edge over Boogie but she, of course Boogie is the better offensive player but Embiid I I encounter for both ends of the court and speaking of both ends of the court let's move to the defensive side and talk about defensive players of the year so the three of us had basically the same top 3 but the difference was that we had different orders so Number one for Jordan and myself was Al Horford, who was number two on JC's list. And Al Horford has been just absurd on the defensive end for the Celtics. He's covered up basically every mistake that anyone on their front lines has made. And the Celtics are by far the best defense in basketball, even though they've fallen off in the last couple of weeks. And it's hard for me to attribute that to the addition of Kyrie Irving for pretty obvious reasons. And beyond that, the Celtics have decent defensive personnel, but just looking up and down that roster, it's hard to see anyone who's so far above average on the defensive end other than Al Horford. I mean, they've got a bunch of young wings who young wings 
are usually pretty bad on defense. The Celtics have been all right in that regard. And I think a lot of that comes down to coaching, but Al Horford has been the alpha and the omega for that Celtics defense. And they're the best defense in the league by a pretty significant margin. Yeah. The one thing that he really allows them to do is it allows them to switch on the defensive side of the ball because he's not the type of guy that can't keep up with, you know, some of the wings and even some of the, the lower end point guards, he can at least stick with them for a few seconds so they can get back. Um, so it allows them a lot of freedom on the defensive end. You know, they roll out one of the one of the lineups with Curry, where they have he's basically surrounded by guys that are all six, seven, and above, and they're all pretty athletic. Um, so that just in itself is extremely, extremely valuable. You know, he's doing a good job over the last uh, last two weeks. He's averaging close to two blocks, so he's being a little bit more of a rim protector than he's even I think been known for in the past. Um, he's got a defensive box score plus minus at three point three, which is a career high. Um, it's just, yeah, he can't be understated what he's doing for the Celtics on the defensive side of the ball. So I'm going to have to uh, defend myself here because I don't want to come off sounding like a Sixers homer, but I have, I had Al Horford second and I had Joel Embiid first. And probably more the reason is I, while Al Horford is by far and very clearly the best defender on the the best defensive player on the best defense in basketball. And I don't buy his on and off uh, court numbers when it comes to defensive rating, because he plays the majority of the minutes with Kyrie Irving um, when he's with the numbers show that when Al Horford's off the court, the Celtics are better, but like that's because he's playing with Kyrie Irving. Um, the Celtics do have more personnel around Al Horford, which I, I think is fair to say they have a lot of six, seven, six, eight wings that can switch everything. And Al Horford is certainly a cog of that. The reason I have him beat is because he has, whenever he is on the court, he is able to transform a roster and keep in mind, Jared Bayless started uh, double digit games at the point guard and he's a sieve on that end. And while JJ Redick is an underrated team defender, he is not a good isolation defender and not a good and not a good defender in space. Dario Saric has started with Ben Simmons and Embiid and Saric is not he's improved on that end but he's not a good defender yet and he's still slow. He doesn't have the lateral quickness. Whenever Embiid is on the court, uh they the Sixers have they allow 100.2 points per 100 possessions, which would put them at third in the NBA. And off the court, they they allow 107.8 points per 100 possessions, which would put them at 25th, just above the Timberwolves. So just the massive difference between being the third best defense in the league and then dropping all the way down to the bottom third of the league at 25 whenever he is off the court, that is one of the reasons why I haven't beat up there. He just trans he transforms a team from a from a putrid offense to a great offense. And keep in mind, the only two other good defenders on that team, um, Amir Johnson is okay off the bench, but Robert Covington, like we were mentioning earlier, he is a one of the best 3 and D wings in the league. And Ben Simmons has surprised some people on defense, uh, considering that he never got in a defensive stance once at LSU. But with that said, Embiid has been by far the more impactful defender. He allows 48% at the rim. Um, less than six feet and beat allows 48% at the rim and then 45% less than 10 feet in. And he just changes the team defensively. And so that's why I have him up there. And I know Al Horford's been great and he's the best defender on the best defense, but I'm just going by how much and just transforms anybody on the roster, no matter what's around him. Before we move on to talking about the rookies, just 
quickly, number two for both Jordan and myself was Draymond Green. We both had Joel Embiid third, so it's not like we all really disagree heavily on this list. It's more like where we put them. And at this point in the season, it's pretty clear that Horford, Draymond Green, and Joel Embiid have had the biggest impact defensively. And this order might switch for all three of us by the end of the year. But right now, I think we all agree that those three have been the top defensive presences in the league. Definitely. They have. I have to admit, uh, JC might have uh, transformed me a little bit there. I was looking at some of those numbers he was going through on like the percentages and beads allowing from different distances. And that is, that is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. And it just kind of, it kind of proves that his, his month that he had in January when Embiid finally got into shape and got in condition, it proved that that wasn't a fluke and that he really is this good defensively already. And let's continue the Sixers discussion. Yeah. We're not going to talk about rookie of the year because at this point, it's really kind of pointless to talk about Rookie of the Year. But we are going to talk about our all-rookie first teams at this point, about a third of the way through the season. But number one, clearly, for everybody who's watched more than about 30 seconds of Sixers basketball this season, Ben Simmons, who at the beginning of the year, Jordan actually argued against me when I thought that Ben Simmons probably wouldn't win rookie of the year just because Markel Fultz would steal a lot of his shine. And I have to admit that I'm wrong on both counts on that one because Markel Fultz hasn't exactly been around to steal all that much shine. And I'm also not sure it would have mattered because Ben Simmons is already a superstar. And I thought it would take him at least a year given his lack of a jump shot. But just like Giannis, that doesn't matter when you're as ridiculous of an athlete and Unlike Giannis, although Giannis has gotten better as a passer, Ben Simmons has incredible vision, and with his size and athleticism, it's really impossible to put anyone else in that top slot for Rookie of the Year right now. Even just reading off his basic numbers of, you know, like 17.7 points, 9.5 boards, 7.5 assists, 2.2 steals, and just under one block. Like, just that alone right there, that seems like the type of numbers you would expect out of, like, LeBron, like, midseason. Uh, not a rookie in Ben Simmons. It's crazy. Yeah, and and not only that, he might not just win rookie of the year in a clear landslide. Um, he pretty much might be an all-star in the Eastern Conference considering how superstars went west this summer and some slots have opened up. He might just be an all-star as a, as a rookie, which I was a big Ben Simmons guy and I watched a lot of his LSU games and between him and Markel Fultz, I watched a lot of bad college basketball, but um, Simmons is just, I did not expect Simmons to be this good, which is one of the reasons I had the Sixers winning 38 games. So I am pleasantly surprised and yeah, it's just a landslide. So since the top slot in the rookie leaderboard is basically a landslide, I want to go through our other four picks for the rookie teams. And we agreed on most of them, but we had Jason Tatum, Donovan Mitchell, Kyle Kuzma, and then Jordan and I had Dennis Smith, number five, and JC had John Collins at number five. But for me, the fifth slot was a bit of a toss-up. I went with Dennis Smith, but John Collins, I think, is a perfectly valid choice. I think the first four were pretty easy for me. Number one was obviously the easiest, but 
Jason Tatum has been lights out from three-point range after being pretty average from the college three-point line, which is something I was not expecting. He's also tried about 20 times harder on defense than I would have expected him to as a rookie. And then Donovan Mitchell has been lighting it up since summer league, and that hasn't showed any signs of slowing down. And Kyle Kuzma, same thing. He fell to 27th in the draft, just like Mitchell fell to 13th. And yet they've looked better than all, but basically Ben Simmons and arguably Jason Tatum so far this year. And then the fifth slot, Dennis Smith Jr. He's been pretty inaccurate, but he's also shown flashes of the kind of player he can be. And John Collins is another guy who fell a lot farther in the draft than I think he would if the teams did a redraft today. Yeah, um, I just I just love John uh, Collins' activity. Um, the few games that stick out to me were the Sixers game, of course. Um, he fouled out, but I thought he really did a good job just coming into the game, adding energy, um, being able to try and guard and beat, which is obviously not an easy task for anybody, let alone a rookie who's giving up five inches and about 50 pounds. But he did well there. He's a really good offensive rebounder. He's averaging a 3.1 offensive rebounds. And he's shooting 59%. So I just, I love his activity and the fact that he's a freak athlete and has had some really just monster dunks this year. I mean, I, I love Dennis Smith Jr. I had him rated high on my theoretical draft board, but I'm he and he's definitely shown flashes and he's on a really bad Mavericks team. You could have either one of those in the spot, but you can have either Smith Jr. or Collins in the fifth uh, slot. But for me, I just love Collins' ability to keep extra possessions alive and grab offensive rebounds. He's he's just he's been a he's been good this year. He's been a he's been a solid rookie. This rookie class is. We're going to look back on this rookie class and just think, wow, there's just not only just in the first round, but in the second round, too. So many people are from the so many players from the second round have been producing. But John Collins, I had I had to give him the slight edge over uh, Dennis Smith Jr. Well, it's crazy. when you mentioned how good this rookie class is like for me, I would have John Collins as my number probably seven because I would have Larry Markin in front of him, too. And so that just right there, that's seven really, really good candidates for rookies. It's, I don't feel like it's often that you have this many standout rookies in one class. And obviously it is, you know, kind of a, a little bit skewed by Ben Simmons at the top where he really should have been a rookie last year. Um, but even taking him away, you know, Tatum, Mitchell, Kuzma, Collins, uh, Markkinen, uh, Dennis Smith, there's just so many good rookies in this class. Um, for me, the reason I went with Dennis Smith ahead of John Collins is just because I think that he's – uh, been asked to do a lot more, and he's really responded to that so far this season. Um, he's done pretty much everything you could have asked out of him. As uh, if you're Rick Carlisle, a guy that's generally been kind of a little bit tougher on rookies. Um, you know, you look at his season stat lines of 14 points, four rebounds, four assists. I, that's everything you wanted and more out of him. He's you know knocking down three pointers. Um, when I, I believe he's a better shooter than the 39% shooter he is on the season. So I think there's even room for that to come up a little bit. Um, but yeah, sky's the limit for all these guys. This marks the end of part one of the first trimester awards podcast and part two should be out soon. In the meantime, you can find Jordan Christmas on Twitter at S P O R T S T A L K X M A S. You can find Jordan Schultz on Twitter at D Y N O N B A. 
And you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. Please also feel free to reach out to me if you have any feedback, either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.